1: Hi, this is Mark Kermode. Thanks for downloading this Kermode on Film podcast. This week's pod comes once again from the BFI South Bank in London, where I host my monthly live MK3D shows. The most recent one, as always, was a packed show, so we split it across two podcasts. Next week, we'll hear from actor Monica Dolan, star of the awards-fated Cyrano and the wonderful Days of the Bagnall Summer, and West Side Story star Rachel Zegler, who arrived hot foot from the set of Snow White. But this week, my guests are broadcaster and critic Anna Smith, giving us a rundown of the recent Girls on Film Awards, and Harry Woodliffe, director of Only You and True Things, the latter of which opens in the UK next week. So sit back and enjoy a front row seat at MK3D, live from the BFI South Bank. In the words of uh, old musical site, you wouldn't believe the day we've had. <laughs> it's been... How is everybody? Oh wow, that was actually more lively than usual. Um, uh, There's a group of students in from uh, Exeter University Film Studies who've been here on a a field trip and they were here yesterday doing stuff at the BFI (laughs) and university. How's it gone? What was your favourite bit? I spent several hours in the freezing cold showing these reprobates around the film highlights of London Soho, but no, their favorite part of the field trip so far was fucking Batman. <laughs> Anyway, uh, we've got a great show for you tonight. We've had, we've had a bit of a day, but we're all, we're all here. What was it? What's the phrase? It was squeaky bum time earlier on, but everything is fine. Um, we're going to start with, the other thing that's bothering, I'll say this now just, before, just because my hair is just not doing what I want it to do. And no, no, I know, I know there are bigger problems, but I've got to that point in my life when I've turned into William Hartnell, you know, the first Doctor Who. And it used to be that when I did this, it was like rocking and it was like a bit James Dean and then it went Richard Nixon, which I thought was, I now have turned into the first Doctor Who. And it's, and I, I know everyone may not, but a bad head, I cannot get the sides of it to go down and I cannot get the top to go up and I'm going really, really bald. Thank you would have been better if it happened earlier on but thank you very much yeah anyway so but look hey i'm a professional i'm struggling through um ask the as i said we've had a bit of a funny day ask the audience uh, we did this thing you know, usually uh, as always we're just asking people to tweet in questions we had a few in are we going to do the are we going to do the microphone-y thing or not or do we have a microphone-y thing I don't, if we have a microphone-y thing, we might do some live uh, in the audience, but I don't know whether we do. So, this came in from Lisa G. Is Lisa G. in the audience? Where? Oh, hello. How are you going? Who is your favourite Batman? I mean, uh, no, wait, wait. <laughs> Who is your favourite Batman? I mean, I know it's Adam West, but hypothetically, could Robert Pattinson usurp him? So, have you seen the new Batman? Oh, and... OK, that was, that was kind A kind three out of five. Yeah. A kind three out of five. It was their best part of the field trip. That makes my walking tour of Soho like one, one and a half out of five. Did, OK, was it the length? Yeah, also I saw it in 4DX. OK, OK, fine. For, has, any, has anyone seen a film in 4DX? Okay, you know, three hours of 4DX. I'm surprised you can walk. <laughs> um, I, thought, I thought that Pattinson was actually really good. I thought it was, it was the most vampire-y thing he's done since Twilight, and I love Twilight, always will love Twilight. And I thought, yeah. And I thought he was actually, actually pretty decent. Plus, it's not just me that thinks this. The Penguin, right? If you've, if you've seen the film, Colin Farrell is the Penguin. And he's, you know, unrecognizable, and it's a really brilliant role. And I just feel like taking a photograph of Colin Farrell and sending it to Jared Leto and going, "Oi, there!" <laughs> you know, that's somebody using makeup to benefit the role rather than, you know, just showing off to the awards judges. But so I'm, I, I liked it. I actually think, I think, controversially. I'm gonna say that at the moment, Robert Pattinson is my favorite Batman. Not, that, not, nece- not necessarily the film, but I think he is a very good, I think he's a very, very good Batman. And partly because I still love him from Twilight. Okay, <laughs> Noah Keat. Noah? Either here or very quiet. <laughs> what is your favorite form of film journalism? Radio, newspaper, TV, podcast, or live event? Nick? So I do radio, I do TV, I do newspaper, I do podcasts, I do live events. Which one are my best? <laughs> live events. <laughs> Nicely saved. This from Jonah Tash. Is Jonah Tash here? Where are you, Jonah? Oh, hello. How you doing? What did you think, and this is very specific, Jonah, I'm gonna come back to you on this. What did you think about the visual metaphors in The Power of the Dog? And should Jane, Jane Campion, I love the fact that you're on first name terms. <laughs> Do you know her personally? Yeah, actually, yes. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I, I knew this. It was the, the whole day, like literally from six o'clock this morning. It's been like this. How do you know, Jane? Um, of a oh, okay. a friend of a friend. Okay, I'm friend of a friend of somebody who knows Leonardo DiCaprio. All right, but I don't call him Leo. <laughs> okay, Jason Isaacs. Does he count as a friend of a friend of the? Anyway, fine. Um, what do you think about the visual metaphors in power of the dog and should Jane Campion win the Oscar for best director so to the second part of that yes and I think she will win the Oscar for best Director on the subject of the power of the dog itself however I'm I don't know that it's the I don't know that it's quite as great as everyone else thinks it is now I know that people love it and I think I think she will win Best Director, and deservedly so, because it is brilliantly directed. I still think Belfast will win Best Film at the, at the Oscars. I, I mean, I know it's, if all the bookies are saying it's going to be Power of the Dog. When you said the visual metaphors, what were you referring to? Were you referring to the mountains and the dog, or were you referring to anything other specifically? Okay. Yeah, okay, all right. Yeah, okay, fine. Um, I, th- I mean, it was just one of those things where I thought, well, what do I think of the vision? I mean, all her films are so rich, even the ones that I don't like. All her films are so... I mean, you know, I love In the Cut. I can't stand the piano, but everybody loves the piano. I always remember Simon Mayo's description of the piano was, welcome to New Zealand, where it's raining. But I think she she will win Best Director, and I think deservedly she will win Best Director. But I still think that Best Film is going to go to Belfast. Do you think she's going to? you think it's going to win Best Film? I think it will. Yeah. Okay, I've got a bet with Boyd Hilton at the moment. I think it's whoever loses takes the other one out for a pizza, so it's fairly high stakes. <laughs> so he's convinced that he's got. I I am still I am still going for Belfast as Best Film. But you know I have this thing that I'm not allowed to bet. I was brought up a Methodist. And I only ever bet once. I, everyone knows this story, but I'll do a very short version of it. I was on the radio on Radio Five. I said, I know what the five things are gonna win. Best picture, best screenplay, best director, best actor, best actress. And Danny Baker said, oh, you should put a bet on it. So I went, well, I don't bet because I'm a Methodist. He said, well, you should do it. Cause this was even before the nominations were announced. So I did put a bet on it. I bet like a hundred quid or something. And then I forgot about it. And then th- the nominations came out and I was right. And then. The, the Oscars happened and I was right. I got all five of them. And I went into the radio the next day and Danny said, uh, those, those uh, choices that you came up with, did they come up? I went, yeah, they did, yeah. And he went, how much did you bet? I, went, I don't know, 100 quid or something. He said, what did you win? I went, oh, like I don't know, 200 quid, 300 quid or something. And Danny said, did you not do an accumulator? <laughs> and I, on Radio 5, the BBC sports station, said, what's an accumulator? I went into that show, 200 pounds up. I came out 15 and a half pounds down because I hadn't, and I think that was God's way of telling me that I shouldn't have bet. You know? <laughs> Not that you're going to lose, but you're going to win really, really badly and painfully. So anyway, let's see. I still think Belfast, but then hey, what do I know? Okay, I'm gonna show you a trailer for a new film which is coming out uh, at the beginning of April. There is also, incidentally, a screening of it after us, half an hour after this show's finished. This is the new film by Harry Woodliffe. This is the trailer, uh, and I think it's a really great film. Take a look at this. Kate. 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 It's like you're on another bloody planet.
0: Okay, so it usually takes about three to five weeks for a claim to be processed. Do you have any other questions?
1: What are you doing for lunch? Uh. Take tights off.
2: <laughs> Do you have a girlfriend?
1: Are you interrogating me? we are always like this. Like what?
0: So you're going to rescue him, are
2: you? You need to find your tribe. You're my tribe? I thought you might have called. I've been busy. He just disappeared.
0: don't know what's wrong with you. I think men find you difficult. That's what? Susan. No, it's important she knows
1: these things. She's all on her own. We're calling you. <laughs> I wish we could stay like
2: this forever.
1: It's out on April the 1st. It's really terrific. Please welcome our first guest, writer and director Harry Woodliffe. Um, You know that I loved your previous film as well and I just saw this a few days ago and I thought it was really powerful and terrific, great performances. I love the way it looks. Tell me where this story comes from.
2: Um, It's uh, kind of inspired by a book. I guess kind of used a blueprint of the book and then um, uh, took the character, maybe not so much the narrative, um, took the atmosphere and um, the, the sort of overwhelming feeling of addiction to someone and kind of ran with
1: that okay so the story is two characters one of whom we meet at the very beginning who s- seems to have some kind of fragility about her and then she suddenly meets this character played by tom burke who is alluring and sexy and damn but clearly fundamentally untrustworthy and then she is magnetically drawn to him tell me about casting those two actors
2: um, well, Ruth. Ruth bought the book to me, so Ruth came oh, with the project. So she cast you. Yeah. <laughs> so that wasn't too bad. Uh, and you know, obviously, Ruth is amazing and um, sort of very in, intelligent, um, sensitive, uh, charismatic woman actress. Yeah. And um, and I guess for me, it was finding someone uh, who matched her uh, intelligence, uh, and it was always a question of like. Uh, the, how good looking is he? Like, what's she drawn to? Um, and I needed him to be... For me, was someone who felt enigmatic, who wasn't exactly who they appeared to be, someone who you couldn't kind of quite work out. And I felt like um, Tom was very different to Blonde in a way. Mm-hmm. And I quite like casting in that in, in, a, in a way where I'm kind of casting against type.
1: I've never met... I've, Ruth Wilson came on the show when uh, Dark River was out. I've never met Tom Burke. What is he like? Because on, on screen, he's, he kind of exudes charisma and danger and... I don't know.
2: He's very... Um, he's, he's, he's really... Um, me, me and uh, Ruth had a kind of, like, threesome date with him to cast him. <laughs> Uh, so me and Ruth kind of like nervously awaited his arrival, and he was late. And then uh, we was probably both kind of quite quite beguiled by him. He's very um, he's he he's very sort of sensitive. The t- dating tips. He's very. <laughs> he's a very good listener. He's very attentive.
1: Can I just say I've been married for thirty years. Dating <laughs> tips in case, are lost just in on me. <laughs> uh, he's very uh,
2: he's he's very sensitive, and he he's very uh, he's witty and clever and sort of has a quite a gentleness about him and an, an, an intelligence. And he, he, he's very not... That, I mean, I think we've all got a bit of blondiness, but he's not quite blonde at all.
1: OK. Can I show a clip from... This is from about uh, halfway, or two-thirds of the way through the film, in which they've started having a relationship, and then he's just been unreliable, and he disappears, and he disappears with their car. This is a scene in which she's coming back home after a... A date which hasn't worked out very well, and it's pouring rain, and he turns up outside her house, and immediately she's back under his spell. Okay, so let's have a look at this. Been calling you. You look nice. I like your dress. Get your skates on, then. Party.
2: My car's fucked. Can we use yours? Yeah. <laughs> I used to have an imaginary friend, a horse called Dunlop. the trainers? Yeah.
1: In a way, the problem is I show that, and actually what I want to do is I want to just watch the film again because it's really tactile, and um, I I, I was knocked out by it. Um, Can you tell me something about how important music is to the way... Because the first film you made, Only You, which I I loved, and I know you'd done shorts before that, it had this brilliant scene in it involving Elvis Costello's I Want You, which is, for very personal reasons, a very important song to me, and I hate it when songs that I love turn up in films. It's like, no, excuse me, that's mine. Would you Mm -hmm. mind staying away from it? But it's a, it's a wonderful scene, and during it, Josh O'Connor does this little kind of... <laughs> this dance that I can't, I'm doing a very bad impression of, you know. And in that, the music and the dancing is telling you the story rather than... So t- tell me a little bit about your relation to music and filmmaking. Um,
2: especially in this film, uh, music played a big part, not only for... there's um, not to give away the end, but there's a, a moment when, where uh, Ruth dances towards the end um, to a track um, that I guess is similar to Only You, where it's kind of the track It is the scene in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I very much, very much on this in, in this film, um, uh, my poor editor, who's here today, I say poor because it was, the sound was so demanding on us um, in the edit. Um, I wanted it to. I wanted the film to have a lot of music. That's kind of how I envisaged it. So I was, I mean, basically you find you don't have your comp- a composer there. So you're finding temp tracks. So you're, you're in a way you're composing your own music by putting splicing bits of music from, from other things yeah. that you know that exist in the world together, to to create a soundtrack. And actually, this scene in particular was was a nightmare because it was all about kind of blending. Um, the, the the sound that was in the party with 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 um, with soundtrack and it was really really difficult to do really difficult to do in the edit and then subsequently really difficult to do in the in the sound edit I guess I just find music is just so uh, it it just transcends how do you use the words transcend transcends feelings transcend yeah. it just takes you somewhere and uh, do you play no, so maybe it's my way of kind of expressing myself through music and very much I work really closely with the composer. so actually it was really bringing back memories of... I love the end of that, the, um, of the soundtrack where there's this kind of plucking sound yeah, which yeah. really came, became like a motif. And um, your my, composer on this is... Uh, oh my God, I've suddenly forgot my composer's name. I remember in a oh, minute. Come back yeah,
1: to... um, It's Emily Lavinace Farouche on the first film yes. who did such a beautiful... N-track, For Only You, which, which I have played the life out of on Scala Radio, um, which is sort of really fabulous. Anyway, sorry, I interrupted is, you. So yeah.
2: um, and he, he sort of played these notes on the piano that he made into this plucking sound, and then he processed them, put them through this process where they kind of repeated over each other. Yeah, yeah. So it was brilliant, because I could kind of be there and go, yeah, do, can you do the plucking thing again? Can you put more plucking on top of more plucking? And so you really have, it's sort of like, he, and also he's, I'm going to remember his name in a minute. It's not Harry so, Escort, is it? No. no read off the Alex Baranowski, Alex thank you oh yeah read it off the poster Alex
1: and uh, edited by <laughs>
2: <laughs> Alex was in, in, incredibly generous and uh, talented and um, and um, collaborative um, so so yeah in a way you sort of get to compose with someone who can compose, yeah. Um, what,
1: yeah. what about directing um, the actors? Because the thing that's beautiful about Only You and about this is you really do get a sense of the spark of the relationship. And, you know, as a critic, you end up saying things like, you know, intimate handheld camera work and unobtrusive, you know, all those things which are, which are basically phrases. If you ever read in a review, you know, unobtrusive direction or intimate handheld, it means I don't know how to describe this. This is a phrase that I am using. How do you get the actors in a place in which... But, but without being in the middle of it? Because all that stuff looks very close up, but obviously you're, you're far enough away that they're able to perform.
2: Yeah, and I mean, hats off to them that you are, you are in their face, really. I mean, there's a lot... There's a, there's a circus around them, you know? Mm-hmm. They're, they're doing things that are really intimate, and there's lots of people around them looking at them, pointing things at them. You know, it's not easy. Um... I guess uh, directing for me is, it's interesting because Ruth and Tom work in quite different ways as well. Um, It was interesting because I found that it was really difficult to talk to Tom and Ruth at the same time. Because in a way, Ruth's got her version of the story, Tom's got his version of the story, and then I've got a kind of overview of the story. And I feel, for me, I have to kind of love all the characters. And so... I, I know what the good is in Blonde. I'm not saying he is good in any way, but I know what the good is in, in him. So when Tom's asking me, well, why am I doing this? I kind of have to explain, you know, his background, psychologically, where he's coming from, because obviously no one thinks of themselves as bad. So what's, how does he do bad things or say mean things? What, you know, why, why is he doing that? So, yeah. then have, so then Ruth's listening and going, I don't agree. I mean, he's just awful. It's like, I, I, know, I know he's awful. But I've just got to, <laughs> so I really felt like I wanted to kind of split them up, and we had quite an interesting situation when we got when we got to um, I'm embarking on a story now uh, when we got to Spain actually where where you know he he loses his allure and he loses his power and um, and it was really interesting seeing psychologically how Tom kind of changed like he he really became kind of like quite quite down you know like I don't know it's quite hard playing somebody who's yeah the light isn't shining on them anymore
1: i mean he is fantastically charismatic and i do think that the the relationship between the two of them works rather brilliantly i asked you to choose um a film that influenced you a film that changed your life and you chose something which i think is you can see or at least i think as a critic i can see stylistic connections you made two you made two choices tell me what the two were
2: the two was the decalogue which is TV series, really, and then Three Colours Blue. Yeah. And then when I watched... It, it was actually brilliant watching uh, um, Decalogue again because I was sort of afraid that I'd go back to it and think, actually, what, what, did, what did I connect, connect with? And I sort of had to submit my, my recommendation before I'd had a chance, then over the weekend yeah. I, I kind of watched it again, and actually it's brilliant. But then with Three Colours Blue, the opening of that film is my favourite opening, and I think th- you actually see when you watch Decalogue how how actually Decalogue le- leads into Three Colours Blue. Okay. And I really, um, I could also see, I was like, oh yeah, it did, it really did genuinely kind of influence me these, I kind of went, went on a, a sort of journey uh, with, with the director. I sort of got into all his, his stuff around the time I started directing.
1: We're gonna play the opening from Three Colours Blue and it was when this came up and they said, oh, there's two choices, I said, well, do Three Colours Blue. I remember seeing Three Colours Blue in, in the press screening. And after the opening of it, literally being like that, and it stayed with me for ages afterwards, so I'm very glad that you chose it because it gives us a chance to show this. I imagine many of you will know the Three Colours Trilogy. If you don't, this isn't a spoiler because it's the very, very beginning of Three Colours Blue. And it is, I think, stylistically very interesting, particularly in terms of the the clip that we've just seen. To have a look at this, this is the opening to Kozlovsky's Three Colours Blue. Diana.
0: Allez, monte.
1: So from a filmmaker's point of view, tell me what you get from that opening sequence. I
2: think the sound is incredible, isn't yeah, it? the
1: sound design is amazing. Um,
2: it's the sound, I, I guess, It's because it's visual, it's, there's no dialogue. Um, I think there's a sort of sense of impending doom, but you don't really know why. Um, it's just sort of stunningly beautiful um, and atmospheric. Um, uh, yeah, I wish I'd made it.
1: Do you you go back to films, like when you were making True Things, do you go back and watch other movies for references?
2: Yeah, I try to kind of... I sometimes sort of latch onto something and then just keep watching it. So it becomes something that when I'm stuck, I can just put it on. Or a piece of music, I can just put it on, and then instead of kind of Googling, like, something, yeah, useless, uh, sort of keeps me focused. Um, And also, so it becomes... I don't know, something that's sort of very day... sort of sends me into a sense of daydreaming, um, rather than... Because I know it so well. Actually, I watch this a lot, because I know it so well that I'm not... I don't know, it just... It just sort of seems to make my brain start to think in pictures and sound and music.
1: Do you show those films to your other collaborators like do you go to your cinematographer and go i'm thinking of this or i'm thinking of that
2: i mean i might i might take uh scenes uh or or give references and definitely with my editor i sort of gave a list of things that i that i loved that i thought were relevant in some way
1: and when the film's finished and it, you know, it's out, as I said, this is coming out in, uh, in April now, April the 1st, but there is a screening immediately afterwards. If you're not doing anything straight afterwards, do go and see it. I mean, I just, I, I'm such a big fan and I'm, you know, I'm so impressed by it. Do you care how it's received critically? Does it-
2: I care deeply.
1: <laughs> do you read reviews?
2: I read reviews. I can't help but read reviews. And then I fixate on everything bad. But, you know like
1: do you do the thing about if somebody says, "This is great, this is great, this is great, this is great, not so much, this is great, this is great, this is great, all you hear is the not so much
2: i I, I just see the not so much, and then I lie in bed at four o'clock in in the morning and and argue my point of why it, <laughs> of why they 're wrong yeah I mean it's so exposing and also i get i mean you make it so that people understand what you 're trying to say and so you connect with people and if if you if you're not connecting and you're not communicating, you know, it's, it's disheartening. You don't make it just so you can enjoy it. And I guess the the times you find out if you've connected or if people are moved by it, is it either in Q and A's or, or through critics. Um, yeah, and it's really exposing. I mean, I don't even tweet. I, I, I go into cold sweat, like sending a text. So I find it, <laughs> I find it embarrassing. I find it like mortifying, yeah do you <laughs> not, ever not no pressure but i find it yes yeah, no, like, i've already fact, told you i love the yeah, film i mean exactly, it's, it's absolutely yeah,
1: fine i mean in fact i did a i did A Q&A with you and uh, josh when when yeah. only you was because if I, I have a confession to make which i probably told you before that when i first saw only you because i didn't know anything about i tend not to read stuff before i see films i tend to see films cold which i know is uh, you know it, it's just what, what i like to do and i just saw the name harry Woodliffe. And um, the first time I ever played a piece of music from the film on Scala Radio, I said his, because, Harry, I didn't know that you were you. Were you. So I loved the film before I knew anything about who it was that, that, that made it. But do you ever do the thing about writing to critics and saying, you've got this string? No, do people do that? Oh, yes.
2: <laughs> OK, and then my, I'm going I'm to write one.
1: My favourite one is Orlando Bloom's mum wrote to me. <laughs> yeah
2: do you write back no no No. exactly i don't
1: think it's gonna james corden's parents got in touch as well (laughs) (laughs) i mean i've got a thing with annoying people's parents i don't know why that is when i was a kid my best friend was a guy called uh uh, called uh, nick cooper and we were around at his house and and his dad was being a bit offy with me and nick said i know this has got nothing to do with film (laughs) nick said he said he said what is it why don't you like mark he said he just looks tired all the time.
2: <laughs>
1: you know, so, you know, but, I mean, I just wonder about that. I mean, I have, I've written books and I've had good reviews and I've had bad reviews. Yeah. And I know that all I remember, I can't remember a single good review, but I can remember every single yeah. word. I literally bad kind review. of
2: scan really fast until I get something that bothers me. <laughs> yeah.
1: So look, I wish you every success with the film because I think it's terrific. I think the performances are, are great and... Uh, and I was, yeah, I, I, I really want to just watch it again. So it opens on April the 1st, yeah. but there is this uh, screening after you're doing, do an introduction for yeah, it. And okay. Yeah. Thank so, you so much. Oh, you're ladies and gentlemen, Harry Woodliffe. Thank, Harry you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Mark. Thank you.
0: To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss.
1: We have a sort of news section in the show. Are we doing the micro? Where's Heather? Are you, are you here? Are we doing the microphoney thing? So that will be no. Yeah, Hedda's my producer and my agent. She doesn't know the word no. So the answer to a question with the answer is no, is, well, it doesn't look like they've done the, you mean no. Yeah, OK, fine. Um, this is the news section of the show. It's, something happened, weirdly enough, almost exactly the same time that, uh, that we were on for the last show. This is why we didn't do it, because it happened on the same day, and I didn't know until the day afterwards. We lost Doug Trumbull, which is a, a, a real shame. Doug Trumbull is one, was one of my favorite filmmakers. Doug Trumbull was a guy who worked in visual effects. He did the visual effects for 2001, although Stanley Kubrick took credit for all of them. He did uh, the visual effects for Blade Runner. He was the guy who made Blade Runner look the way it did. Um, And he he also directed a couple of my most important films. Silent Running, which as you all know, I've gone on about over and over again. I bought one of the first soundtrack albums I ever bought was Silent Running. And, uh, and I just loved that film from when I was a kid. I ended up writing a book about it, uh, published by the BFI, probably available in the bookshop, an absolute snip at like 6.99. I mean, everything you never wanted to know about silent running, but was scared I was gonna tell you anyway. Um, <laughs> and he also made a film called Brainstorm, which nearly didn't get finished, nearly didn't get finished, but did, and I think is a really great film. So look, indulge me, because I, Doug Trumbull was such a great filmmaker, such a great technician, And a really, really lovely person. I I met him when we were doing a documentary about Blade Runner. And I just sort of basically fell on my knees and said, I just love Silent Running and I'm so sorry. And he was just really kind and really friendly. And he's a really great loss. So I want to show you this scene from Silent Running. The story of Silent Running is Bruce Dern is lost in space with the last of the Earth's forests. That's the plot. His only friends are these robots called drones, which are played by actors, rather brilliantly played by actors. And because he doesn't have any other company, he programs the drones not to be worker drone robots, but to be companions for him. You've probably all seen it. One of the greatest things about it is it makes no sense at all. The film makes absolutely no sense at all, but it doesn't matter because it makes emotional sense. You know, if all, the, if all the forests have gone from the earth, how come the earth hasn't just suffocated? Yeah, well, there we are. You know, they're on a spaceship. It's got gravity. Yeah, well, there we are. Um, this is a lovely, lovely scene, and I'm just playing this because I love Doug Trumbull so much and I love his film so much, so indulge me. This is a lovely scene from Silent Running. Well, what were
0: you doing? You
2: just threw down Three Kings. You're nuts, you know that?
1: Well, uh, your hand is obviously dead, and let's see what you got here. Well, he's got trash, so uh, obviously I'm the winner with three sevens. Thank you, boys. I'm sorry. you got to be quicker than that. you got to get up in the morning to beat old Freeman, let me tell you. Early in the morning. It's all mine. Now, this time we'll play another hand, and I don't want any mistakes. I mean, it's up to you, you know. We're not playing for three-in-one oil here, you know. We're playing for money. So the other big news thing is, it's awards season, as you all know. Um, they've had a new Girls on Film uh, Awards, which just happened a couple of days ago. To uh, tell us all about it, please welcome Anna Smith. Hello. Matt. Hey Anna, how are you doing?
0: I'm really well, how are you doing?
1: I'm very good. Um, good. Yeah, and uh, tell us about the Girls on Film Awards. What are they? what you know what drove them
0: so on march the 2nd we decided to have the girls on film awards after three and a half years of doing the podcast very successful podcast um, why thank you which aims to shine a light on female film critics and female filmmakers so we got some of the best female film critics in the uk to nominate Um, films that come out in the three years that Girls on Film have been going Uh, and then obviously we nominated and awarded winners based on fantastic female representation amazing work, the films we love that maybe have been overlooked by some other award ceremonies.
1: Okay so from the last three years so basically from the length of time that Girls on Film have been going. Yes
0: since myself and Hedda Archbold who aforementioned who is here tonight who doesn't know how to say no in in any language at all
1: (laughs) 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 and there we are (laughs) Um, so you, there was ten awards in total. That's right. I've asked you to choose four to give yeah. us a kind of flavour of the awards. If people want to hear the whole thing, is it available as a podcast?
0: It is just out now as a podcast on okay. all major platforms: Spotify, Apple, etc. Okay, so, so you the can girls listen to it. The Girls yeah. on Film
1: podcast. Everybody should subscribe to It's really terrific.
0: So the first category I'm going to talk about yes. is ensemble acting. So okay. this is obviously we wanted to, rather than pick best actor, best actress, to reward a group who've done an amazing work. Um, Should we have a look at a clip which yes. demonstrates? Yes, absolutely.
1: Yeah.
0: Hand sanitizer, chapstick, college IDs. Now, Mace, listen. It is very important that you keep this safe. Oh, I want to fix him. You know. I know, but there are some people you just can't. If I could fuck a car. <laughs> Fuck this car This is fucking it This, this is fucking it Stick with me, baby They're turning oppression into spectacle Let's make a spectacle of our own What, seriously? Put hands up And stop stepping on the thing You look so nice And the winner is smart. We're gonna get to Nick so late It's fine, everybody shows up to parties late It's like It's cooler to be late We're gonna
1: arrive right at the crest Before you know it, you'll be neck deep in Ryan Neck like deep in what direction? Can you tell me? I don't know. I don't know anything. This is like your nightmare
0: about having to land a commercial airliner, but much, much worse. I mean, is it? (laughs) (laughs) So that was for female friendship on screen, of course, rather somber, but a lot of the same films were nominated because we love to see women together on screen, young, old, everything in between, celebrating the relationships with each other. And as you can see from those clips. Yeah.
1: And a popular choice.
0: Absolutely. And um, we had Best Documentary. Okay. Um, and what a powerful year for documentaries. I mean, just this past year, but from when we started, some of the most, I think, extraordinary documentaries ever made came up. So let's have a look at the documentary reel. Okay. feel so like these people are crazy, you know, I mean, in a good way.
2: Fifty of us lot get on a bus, and the whole world knows we're lesbians. And the winner is for Sama. Sama.
0: Sama. Sama. So incredibly powerful film, that and um, the director, Wad Al-Khatib, came to accept the award in person. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, we, we actually had a lot of winners and nominees attending and uh, made a very powerful speech. So. And of course,
1: the score for that was done by Nanita Desai, who does such a brilliant job. And I know he's been on the podcast before. She has,
0: and she also won Best Composer, and she came along to accept that award. Good for so. her, because she
1: is such a great composer. So She's that's really good. Really isn't good. She? I should also say, since cow, I feel really embarrassed to say this. Since cow, I've sort of stopped drinking milk, and I'm,
0: yes, me too. Yeah. I mean, no, no, no. But I'm, I'm,
1: <laughs> I'm still, I am still a fish and chipper crit. I feel, you know, I still do the thing about, it, but I'm just, I'm, yeah. Since cow, the dairy is is going. I'm,
0: It is a very, very powerful film. Um, We chose another award which was a little bit different. Um, It raises a bit of a laugh, but it actually has a serious Purpose. The award is best female orgasm on film. So the idea is that actually, you know, <laughs> sexual pleasure is often shown from the male gaze, um, and perhaps women. I don't know what you looked wide. at me
1: when you said that. It was like it was staring like...
0: at you, our... and <laughs> I'm not blaming you. You're an ally, as we know. Um, but yeah, and in fact, we did, we did yes, we did have an award for male allies as well. But yeah, the best female orgasm award is a, is, is a fun one, but a serious one to show you know responsible portrayals yes. of female pleasure and and ways that you know. Films that advance the plot in the sex scenes, and they're not just gratuitous. Yeah.
2: Um, should we have a
0: look at yeah, the for that? Yeah, absolutely. We were a part of each other. Flesh of each other's flesh. Which we so took for granted that we never thought of the flesh. I'm your man. Ich will jetzt nicht tanzen. Ich will jetzt wissen, wie es ist, mit dir zu vögeln. that? Hey.
2: Soll du solltest jetzt schlafen.
0: So There's probably well if you haven't seen <laughs> If you haven't seen Iron Your Man, it's worth mentioning that Dan Stephen plays a robot. So the idea is that he's a kind of love bot. So it's a very, very interesting sexual dynamic. Know,
1: but also, each one of those films is individually ter- I mean, what a yes. fantastic selection of films to be able to choose from.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just been such a joy to celebrate so many incredible films. All, all the films have been featured on the podcast, and yeah. we've often had the filmmakers and the cast on the pod. So, it's been so we
1: watch Female Friendship. Do, do we have the ensemble cast that I think we... We skipped round that the first time round. We have gone somewhere. Do you Excellent. want to? Yeah, let's share, have Yes, a please, thank Absolutely. you.
0: Absolutely, yes. So, great film. When would I have a chance to call the police, Henry? If you call the police, we're totally entering the cycle of abuse, Henry. That is 100% your fault. No one makes their own way. Least of all, a woman. You'll need to marry well. But you are not married, aren't you? Well, much. that's because I'm rich.
2: Are y'all seeing this? I'm going to be yeah. the new Picasso. <laughs> 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 Don't worry.
0: This bitch with a nappy ass head was up in my face! Word. And the winner is Rox.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Welcome to the future. <laughs> and then I'm going to Rox, can you do my eyebrows? Like, or just do my makeup? Sorry, Agnes. I, I don't really have stuff. For your color, because I never get white clients.
1: Rocks is such a great film and I remember Sarah Gavron particularly asking that it was never referred to as Sarah Gavron's Rocks because she said it's not just the ensemble cast it's the ensemble everything and I thought... I'm just trying to remember the last time that a director didn't want to take credit for a movie. I thought it was absolutely brilliant.
0: She's so humble, and I think she came on stage with Ana Enriquez, her associate director, and said exactly that, that everyone... It was a very collaborative process, and that's something we love to celebrate on Girls on Film. And the cast played an unusual part, I think, actually informing the characters with all the workshopping that they did, so it was lovely.
1: So congratulations on the awards. People can hear the whole ten awards on the Girls on Film podcast, which, as I said, you really should subscribe to because it's fabulous. Tell us what you're doing now because you're involved in getting a film re-released.
0: Well, International Women's Day is approaching and we've been doing 365 days of film recommendations wow. on our social media, um, mostly female-led projects. Wow. Um, and one of those films recently was Atlantis, um, which is an incredible Ukrainian film actually set um, in a future after the war with Russia. And it's um an incredibly powerful film um, that had a small release last year, but I'm re- I'm talking to distributors. I'm really hoping that people can get, actually get to see this film because it seems so powerful and so relevant at the moment.
1: So you're looking to get it back into cinemas. I
0: hope so. Yeah, or a streaming service, but it just should be something that everyone watches. You know, and this director also had a film, Reflection, which also dealt with the war, and that was in um, Venice this year. So it's, it's it just seems like something that everyone wants to engage with, everyone wants to support and it was an almost a sadly prescient um, sort of futuristic film. Actually. It was very powerful.
1: In the three years that you've been doing the Girls on Film podcast, has has the world changed for the better?
0: Yes, I do think it has. Good. I, I think, you know, you're saying Jane Campion will probably win Best Director. Do you think That's she will? Changed. I think she will, yeah, absolutely. And now I'm looking and commenting on different award ceremonies, more high-profile award ceremonies. They're making a, an obvious concerted effort to be more inclusive and diverse and to recognize talents that may have been overlooked so it's getting there but we've still got a way to go okay yeah. it
1: is good to have some good news in these particularly dark times so that's great thank you so much for coming on uh, as i said check out the awards on the girls on film podcast anna thank you very much thank you for having me Well, that was the first half of the most recent MK3D live show, recorded at the BFI South Bank in London. If you like the sound of the live shows and you'd like to come along, they happen every month, and you can get information and tickets from the BFI website. On next week's podcast, we'll hear from Monica Dolan and Rachel Zegler. I hope you'll join me then. In the meantime, stay safe and keep watching the skies.